Okay. Victims of religion. Mark chapter 12, 38 through 43, and then chapter 13, verses 1 through 2. So stand with me for the reading of the word. The word of our Lord says, Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for pretense make long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then the poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly I say to you that the poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, but in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Then he went out of the temple, and one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Let's pray together. Father, open up our eyes, our ears, to this word, a word, Lord God, that I think has been so misconstrued and misinterpreted. Father God, help us to really understand what you are saying here to us, to our hearts, to our church, and be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you a key, a, a key word here. It's called context. Context, context, context. Notice, notice how I put a little separation between the verses because you can pull these verses out of context and you can make them mean all kinds of things, but notice they all come together. They all happened on the same day. It's Jesus last week. What day is it? It's Wednesday. <laughs> right? He entered into Jerusalem on Monday. He cast out the sacrifice sellers and the money changers on Tuesday. On Wednesday, he's examined, right? He's examined by the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, and the scribes. He declares that he is God, Adonai, from Psalm uh, 110. And then you come to this passage. Context, context, context. Because again, if you pop this out of context, and most of you, I, I think many of you sitting here don't have a clue where I'm going with this. Or a clue what, what the Lord, I believe, is saying here. So the, the key thing to look at is in verse 40, okay, through verse 44, he is talking about a widow who gave her last two pennies to a corrupt and religious system to go home and die. And then in the first two verses of chapter 24, he proclaims judgment upon this religious system. So three things, three simple things today. The victimizers, the religious leaders, Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes. Jesus said, this is my father's house. It is to be a house of prayer. And you turned it into a robber's den. Then you have the victim. And this is the widow. Who has fallen victim and is being victimized by this very corrupt religious system. And then you have a verdict. And that verdict is the destruction of the corrupt religious system. So, victimizers, the victim... And the verdict, by the way, still very relevant in the time we live in. 
So you have the widow, by some people say she was old, some, we, don't, we don't know if she was old or young, she could, have, she could have been 20 years old. And she gave her last two pennies. And if you listen to most preachers on this passage, they use it as a passage to encourage people to give. That when you give, you need to give it all. Right? You need to give everything you have. That's the way we're supposed to give. And there is not one tiny little bit of evidence in this passage to prove that. There are lots of passages in the scripture about money and giving. But this is not one. And when you pop the passage out of the context, again, that's the meaning you would usually end up with. Now, let's start off. The victimizers, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes who use religion to manipulate people, coerce people, to extort money from people, to deceive people, to use people, and basically they use right people for their fame and their fortune and their fakes and their frauds. So in, in verse 38 to 40, then he said to them in his teaching, beware, 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 of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplace, the best seats in the synagogues, the best places in the feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive great condemnation. These are our Lord's final words to Israel's false religious leaders. He basically exposes their corruption, he exposes their hypocrisy, and he warns the people of their damning influence. Beware. They basically are teaching the doctrine of demons. So beware. So I want you to look. Let me just break this down here. In fact, if you take Matthew 23, all the eight woes that Jesus spoke to the scribes and the Pharisees, that is what Jesus, and again, Mark gives us a limited picture. Matthew gives us a more broader picture of what's happening on Wednesday. This is the end of the day when Jesus begins to speak these words of condemnation for this corrupt religious system and their leader. So, he says to them, beware, right, of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes. They love greetings in the marketplace, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at the feast, right? Be beware. They, they, they loved attention. <laughs> so they, they'd wear these long, adorned, expensive robes. And they love being seen. The best seats. Right? They wanted the box seats. <laughs> the front row seats. And they were proud. They, they strutted. It was about, look at me. You know, when you, when, you, when you read somebody like this in the world or in the church, they'll frequently say to you, do you know who I am? Bill Meunier told a great story that he had a, a ownership in a restaurant in Englewood and one time the mayor came in but they were totally booked, there were no tables and the mayor said to the owner, uh, the main owner, he said, do you know who I am? And the owner looked at him and said, why, did you forget? You, you maybe forgot. But they want people to, to see them. It says in verse 5, everything, everything, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. By the way, that is a phylactery. That is a tassel they would actually take from Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
right? They were to bind the word of God on their foreheads. I believe that Jesus was not speaking literally. He was speaking figuratively. Get the word of God in your brain. But they would take these little boxes. You go into an Orthodox neighborhood and you'll see this. They take these boxes. We go to Israel. You see the Orthodox all around. They have these little boxes. And inside there's scripture verses. And what Jesus is saying, they make their phylacteries really big. My phylactery is bigger than your phylactery, and because of that, I'm more spiritual than you. And tassel. Now, Jesus wore the tassels. Remember the woman who had been bleeding? She grabbed the tassel. But he says here, they make them really long. Again, these were their signs of being deeply spiritual. He said, who devour widows' houses, I'll get to that in a moment, and for pretense make long prayers, they will receive great condemnation. They pray long prayers. You ever see the, the prayers in the scripture? They're not very long. If you look at, like, like the longest prayer in scripture is John chapter 17, where Jesus prayed at the Last Supper for himself, for the apostles, and for us. But it's really only just a matter of a few minutes to be able to pray that. But they like to stand in front of everybody, stand in the marketplace, and they pray these long prayers. And boy, they, you know... You've heard of Al-Anon? Well, these guys could have used um, some sessions in on and on. You know, because they just would go on and on. When they would fast, they'd dishevel their hair. And they look, they look all tired and fatigued. They hadn't eaten in a few hours and they want everybody to see how spiritual they are. And when they would give, they would blow the trumpet, right? And they tell everybody how much they gave. But they, again, they, they, they love the attention. In, in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 23, and I'm going to go to Matthew 23 because that's where you have the eight woes, and the eight woes were damning. This is Jesus damning this system and these people. So notice the word they love. They love the best places at the feast, the best seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi, they love to be called Rabbi, but you do not call Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ, uh, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I just want to explain that to you really quick, because you can call your father, father. It's the idea, these guys wanted to be called exalted. Oh, great father. Oh, great rabbi. They, they wanted people. Oh, anointed. Oh, anointed rabbi. That's what they're, they're... No humility here. You ever see... You see this in the church with Dr. So-and-so? Right? You know, you, you get a PhD and they, they put that title, Dr. So-and-so. And, you know, it just... There are some doctors here who are medical doctors... They're doctors, right? You, you go to them and, and they exam. But the idea, every, you know, doctor? It's just like, they're, they're, again, they, they're, I'm, not a, I'm not into titles. I'm not into degrees. I think we all have adults here today. If you take a thermometer, how many degrees does it have? 108. You know where you put it? I, I personally run from titles. We get to do things in the towns. The mayor comes up and says, we have, we have today the honorable uh, reverend, right? 
I'm like, oh, please, please, please. You know, pastor, I don't mind pastor. By the way, Frank is fine. It was okay for Jesus, right? It was okay for Paul, and it's okay for Frank. Pastor is a, is a very humble, I mean, you think about a pastor, you know, they, they take care of the sheep. They watch over the sheep, they feed the sheep, they guard the sheep, and they clean up after the sheep. So I think that's a very humble term that I, I, I see in the scripture. Reverend? Reverence? That's God. <laughs> He's the one to be, you know, reverent about. So these guys, again, they're, they're into titles. They're into people worshiping them. And, uh, you know, something, let me just say this to you. The less reality, and I'll ask you this question, you think about this. The less reality, the more symbol you get. Have you noticed that? The less reality in churches, the more symbol you get. The more reality, the less symbol you get. They, they essentially are inverse. But when you have nothing on the inside, what happens then is only what you, again, create on the outside. So you see the symbols, and the symbols expand in churches that are not filled with the Spirit of God, do not have Jesus indwelling in them, and are not really filled with the Word of God. So now you, you see all these, uh, you see the adornment of the buildings. You see people, again, you see phylacteries, you see tassels. By the way, look at Christianity. What do you see? The less reality, the more symbol. The more reality, the less symbol. When you've got God on the inside, you don't need a lot of symbols on the outside. That's true about everything in life, by the way. It's true about, it's true about everything in life. When, when, you really, when you are confident in your knowledge, when you are confident in your learning, you don't need to go around telling people about your degrees. <laughs> in, the, in the martial arts, you take a highly talented... You can see guys in the UFC. They don't walk around with black belts on or brown belts or whatever. They're totally confident in who they are. They don't need to go around and, and, and brag. And, and that, that's what you get. And by the way, the hats. I, boy, if you ever want to get me a hat, I would love to have one of those hats. Couldn't you see me just walking? I mean, couldn't you see me coming in here with, with diamonds and rubies? <laughs> People ask me, you know, why don't you wear a robe? Because Jesus dressed like everybody else. Yeah, he wore a robe. But if I was living back in Jesus' time, I'd wear a robe. But why? Because Jesus dressed like everybody else, and Paul dressed like everybody else, and John dressed like everybody else. Why don't I wear a collar? Because they didn't. They, they, they dressed like everyone else. So again, you see all this outer, this, this outer adornment to cover up that there was total poverty in their souls. But here's another they shut the door to heaven. They shut, they shut the door to salvation in Matthew 23, 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, and you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Right? Whoa, this is again a word of damnation. They're hypocrites, they're fakes, they're phonies, they're frauds. And they claim to be leading people in the way of truth, 
the way to God, the way to heaven, but they're actually leading people in what? The way to, the way to hell. He says they devour widows' houses. So again, in Matthew and in Mark, in Matthew 23, 14, what do you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses for the pretense to make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. The word there, devour widows' houses, is consume them. They plunder them. It, it, it literally means to eat up. And you do a historical study. You go to, go to the Talmud. And it's the Jewish writings. This is not, this is not a, a, a preacher, okay, through church history saying this. You go to the, the Talmud, and their own historical record basically says that they would take money from widows, although the scriptures forbid that, it forbids it. They would cheat widows out of their estates while offering them legal protection. The scribe would go... And he was, well, he's, you know, he's this wise legal person. And he would say, well, let me, let me manage your estate. I'll take care of it. And meanwhile, he's basically swindling them out of all their money. They would take money from older widows who were deficient in their mental powers. And they demanded that they give money to them to the temple so that they could receive blessing, salvation, and grace. I want to tell you this. Through the years, I have been asked by people to be the executor of their estates. And some of you sitting here, and what have I said to you? No way! No way! I, I, just, I'm not doing it! I, I do not want to get there, right? Here comes, here comes the pastor into your money with your children and your relatives. What are they thinking? They're thinking, I'm there, right? That's, their, that's what they think. He's, he's, there to, he's there to take money. Take your money, and you know what? You can go do with it. I don't want it. I don't need it. I, I, don't, I, I don't want to have anything to do with it. One lady, Diane, you remember this, she came to the church, and she went to Diane, and she said, I want to give 10% of her husband. Her husband was old and he was getting ready to. I want 10% of the estate to go to Frank Bolella Ministries. Well, there's no such thing as Frank Bolella Ministries. I am the lowly pastor of Living Word Community Church. There's no Frank Bolella Ministries. It's not a TV. I'm not a TV evangelist with Frank Bolella Ministries. And she got kind of indignant, right? She said, I want it to go to Frank Bolella Ministries. Well, there's no Frank Bolella Ministries. And I don't want the IRS knocking on my door. Just want nothing to do with it. I think that's something really good for pastors, by the way. That we should, we should want nothing to do with it. By the way, look at, look at what the Word says in Matthew 23. I'm sorry, in, in James chapter 127. He says, pure religion... And undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. We are to look after widows, not extort from them. By the way, I'll tell you something. Single moms, we need to help you too. But we are not to be extorting from widows. And by the way, you can find about 25 to 30 verses that say that in the Old Testament. 
as the body of Christ. This isn't just me. This is all of us. We have a responsibility here to widows. To care for them. To look after them. Their children. Their families. And that's exactly the opposite of what they were doing. Here's another. They make false converts. Verse 15 of Matthew 23. What are you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Right? They teach him the way of legalism, the way of religion, and essentially the way of hell. He calls them blind leaders. In verse 16 and 17, what are you blind guides and say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater the gold of the temple that sanctifies the gold. He calls them blind guides, but what they did is they manipulated the word of God. So he said, well, we could swear by this, but you can't swear by that. You could swear by the gold of the temple, but you can't swear by that. I mean, it's just, you talk about, you talk about crazy religion, and that's, that's what these guys had. They major in the minors, and they minored in the majors. Verse 23 through 24. What do you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe and mint and unease and common, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith? These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone, blind guides who strain out the gnat and swallow the camel. Notice this again. They, 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 they were so concerned about tithing their herbs. There's religious people that they get focused on these little insignificant things why they neglect, right, mercy, faith, justice. And Jesus, what did he say to them? They strain the gnat and they swallow the camel. <laughs> Everyone's giggling now. You have to understand, this is Jesus using, he's using some humor here. They're just missing it. And then they're all about image. Right, it's all about, right, it's all about image. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Again, they're all about the outer appearance. They're all about image. But inside there's hypocrisy. Greed, deception, lust. And one other thing here, he accuses them, they murder God's messengers. And um, in verse 29-33, he says, What are you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have part, be partakers in them in the blood of the prophets. I mean, what a bunch of bull that is. Therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? You know what, this is, this is guilt by association. Essentially, they did not condemn what their fathers did. And then again, they would repeat it by killing Jesus and, uh, and, you know, and others. But they just, it, 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 they're a picture of, again, this is religion, religious Corruption, religious hypocrisy, manipulation, abuse. You know, people, people will come to me and they will say, well, you know, um, Christianity has done some really bad things through the years. What do they expect me to say? No, it hasn't. Things have been done in the name of Christ that are, that are absolutely horrible. Inquisitions, crusades, child abuse. 
that was covered up recently. Um, just so, so many of these things. I, I could go on, let me tell you, I, I could share with you the atrocities in the name of Christ that have been done over the course of the last 2,000 years and keep you here for the next six hours and talk about them. So the person is then shocked that a pastor basically, and I, let me tell you, I will call out the church. You know that. I will call out the church. I will call out false teachers. I, I will call out false prophets. I, I will call out the wolves. And they've come in here. They penetrate. But I will call them out. And Jesus here, right, we should all call them out. Just as he did. Okay. So you have the victimizers. Now, the victim. In Matthew chapter 12, 41 to 42, now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put in money into the treasury, how the many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a, a, a quadrants. So two mites, that's like today, maybe it's two quarters. Right? This is, these are, the quadrants is, is a, a Roman, essentially it's a Roman coin, a Roman bronze coin. It's a quarter of what is called an as. Uh, and here she comes to the treasury, which is in the court of women. The treasury, uh, you had 13 of these receptacles in the court of women. And everybody could come into the court of women, both men and women. And uh, the women couldn't go further. Okay, but they were allowed to be in the court of women. And um, essentially the, the, the key thing, the temple was built upon the fact that you purchased salvation. You purchased blessings. You, you know, you purchased God's forgiveness. You purchased eternal life. This is my father's house of prayer and you have made it a den of what? Den of thieves, a den, a den of robbers. So verse 43 through 44, it says, So he, he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Surely I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. So again, you listen to preachers. This verse is, I mean, listen to TV preachers. I haven't, I haven't read too many sermons on this text that I believe what was really presented in understanding the context but you, you look at it, again, this is how you're supposed to give, right? That's the message. That's the sermon. Give it all. Give till it hurts. You have to give sacrificially. This is how you have to give in a surrendered fashion. Give everything, because that's going to demonstrate your faith and your trust in God. And they say that's how the woman gave. And there is not one word in the text to support any of those perspectives. It, it, it doesn't say anything about her attitude. Now again, there, there are hundreds of verses you can find on how we are to give. We're to be good stewards. We're about tithing. I believe in tithing. I believe in the Holy Spirit leading us to give special offerings at times. But there is, not, there is nothing here about giving. He is calling out a system. She came and she gives her two last mites. Doesn't tell us if she was a believer. Doesn't tell us if she knew God. Doesn't tell us if she was a believer or following Jesus. She's, she's not the spiritual hero that preachers make her out to be in the story. And what is she? What is she? She's what? She's a victim. She's, she's a victim of a system that devours widows' houses. Verse 40. She... 
You devour widows' houses. That is the connection, right? It's all happening right now. This is just, just flowing in time, right? He calls them out, and then all of a sudden, here comes the widow. who put, And it's happening, right? It didn't happen a day later. It didn't happen a week later. It happened in, in just in a continuity of, of time. So the Christian preachers will say, give everything. And what does she do? She gives everything. She takes a vow of poverty. And she goes home to die. Maybe to eat her last meal. Maybe not to have any meal. Maybe no food for her kids. That's not the way God has it. Now, if I was to stand here again and pull that out of context, say, this is the way you are to give. You are to give sacrificially. You are to give it all. Give it all. Right? Get the baskets out, guys. We'll have another collection. And then you're not going to be able to pay your mortgage or your rent or your car payment or your utilities. And you're not going to have any more money to buy food. Do you understand the situation that this is what they were doing to this woman? It's not about tithing. Right? This, this is 100%. And he doesn't ask for 100%. He asks 100% of our hearts. But he asks us to be good stewards. You've got families. You've got to take care of your, your, your family, your kids, your, your, your children, your relatives. If a, if a person will not provide for their family, what does the scripture say? They are worse than an infidel. Right? They are worse than an infidel. So this woman would have been violating the very word of God by doing that. So, again, she comes... She gives her last pennies. By the way, the rich gave large sums. By the way, there's, there's nothing bad said about the rich. And that, that's a, a beautiful model for Christian given. But the woman gave everything and went home to starve and die. And maybe for her children to starve and die. Believing that by giving those last two quarters that God was going to bless her under the manipulation of these false teachers. So he doesn't say anything about the rich having a bad attitude. Doesn't say anything about that. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything about any of the motivations or any of the attitudes in the story. Just her outward action was simply evidence that she had fallen victim to a corrupt religious system. So they say, you want blessing? Give your money. Right? She's destitute. She's got two cents. She says, if I give it, then God may bless me. If she doesn't give it, she's eaten her last meal. And she, again, is going to go home and die. Does that sound like any preachers today? Right? Have, you, have you noticed? Send me your money. Right? That's the message. Send, send me your money. You're down, you're down to your last $50. By the way, you know what? These TV evangelists who play this game, most of the time they, they are preying on single women and, um, and widows. It's not like 65% of the people who give. And they're, they're giving their, their last pennies to them. But if you give, you're like, listen, you've got that last Some of you, I, I, know, I, know, I know there's someone out there, they got $500, the last $500, and if you give it, by the way, don't take that little snippet and put it up on YouTube. 
That last, that last $500. And God is going to open the doors to heaven. He's going to pour down. But I, I know God is going to give you $10,000 if you, if you do that. One, one preacher, basically they went into his dumpster and uh, they found all these letters from all these people, right? People sick with cancer and disease. People who were poor, people on the verge of losing their homes, people on the verge of being put out on the street and becoming homeless. The letters were all written. The checks were gone and the letters were still in the envelopes. They were never read. I'm, I'm just... It's just crazy. While, while they live in these big, huge mansions. Some of them have many of them. And they fly in their private jets all over the country, and they brag about how they stay in hotels where it's $10,000 a night. There, there's even no shame with, the way that, with what they've proclaimed. That's what Jesus, when he says, serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? All right, finally the verdict. So you have the victimizers, who turned the, uh, God's house into a den of robbers, the victim, who's this poor, deceived widow, and then the verdict. And what he's going to talk about here is one thing. What is it? Judgment. Judgment. <laughs> judgment. Judgment. The, the wrath of God. And, and again, in our, in our chapter separations, we miss this. Because what's happening in chapter 12 flows right into what's happening in chapter 13, especially in the first two verses where he says, then he went out of the temple and one of his disciples said to him, teacher, see what... <laughs> Just wanted, this guy missed, he missed something. Then he went out of the temple and one of his disciples said to him, teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Now, now it, it, the... The temple in the day of Jesus, the eastern side of the temple was covered with gold. And when the sun would rise, it would hit that. And actually, people said you couldn't even look at the temple because the gold and the sunlight reflecting off of it. So this guy seems to be, he seems to be really into architecture because he's missed the whole message that Jesus just gave. It's really, it's, it's, it, I don't know, it's kind of funny. There's some really funny parts in the scriptures. So, um, Jesus then, in verse 2, answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. What is he talking about? He's predicting here the destruction of Jerusalem that would come in 70 AD. About 38 years, 37 years later, Jerusalem would be besieged by the Romans from about... 67 AD until 70 AD, Titus and the Roman legions. Titus was the son of the emperor. He eventually became the emperor. And Titus basically laid siege to it. And what happened was when they invaded, his soldiers set the temple on fire against his will. He wanted to extract the gold. And they set the temple on fire. The gold melted and fell between all the stones. So after the fire was quenched, then they had to begin to rip every stone off of the next stone to be able to extract the gold. And that is what it looks like when we go to Israel. Not one stone left upon another. By the way, if you're looking at that wall, that's a retaining wall. That wasn't the temple. 
That's a retaining wall holding back the dirt, okay, on the Temple Mount. Not one stone left upon another. By the way, some of those stones have been hauled away by Christians and different people through the ages, used to be a cornerstone in a church. But there are, I mean, this, this is the picture of the stones, just as Jesus predicted. By the way, that was the end of the Sadducees. Thank you, Lord. It was the end of the Pharisees. Thank you, Lord. And it was the end of the religious system. The end of it. Of this corrupt, this manipulative, this victimizing system. He destroyed it. By the way, he will do that with every false religious system in the church. So, the victimizers, the victim, and the verdict. Here's our conclusion. Beware. Beware of victimizers. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You want to say this, don't be a victim. How? How do you know you're not being victimized today? How? I've seen good preachers go bad. I've seen good preachers who start off being men of incredible integrity of the Word of God, and then all of a sudden, right, the church gets in a little financial trouble, and all of a sudden they're teaching things, and they're again, they're now, now they're manipulating. How do you know? Well, you need to know the Word of God. Right? We, we, we pride ourselves here on being a, a Berean church. Acts chapter 17, verse 11, these were far more minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Paul is teaching the word to the Bereans. What they did was they went back home, they got out their scroll, and they checked in the Tanakh, they checked the Old Testament. Paul is teaching them about Jesus being the Messiah. He's going through all the verses in the Old Testament teaching them that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Savior. Yahweh spoke to Adonai, Psalm 110. This is what they're examining. They're searching the scriptures to make sure what Paul said. And if they were checking Paul, folks, you need to be checking me and everyone else who comes into this pulpit. And in every Bible study you sit in. You need to go home and check. Was this, was this, was Pastor Frank right on? And if I'm off, you need to come to me. And if I'm unwilling to listen to you when you come to me, you need to come to the elders of the church and maybe it's time for me to be put out to pasture. I'm maybe a pastor out to pasture. That, that's, I just thought of that. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test everything. Right, the word of God, the word of God is a plumb line. Right, when you see anybody veering off from the word of God, right, that tells you that tells you there, 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 there is error here. There's false doctrine here. I was, I was up in the Sunday school room a couple, up with the, the youth, with the kids a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about how, you know, how can we know? How can we know and understand the difference between truth and error? And I just was quietly listening to them, and they were, you know, they were proposing things, and Pastor Lou was, you know, great teacher, leading them. And I just said, can I just share one thing? There was a guy who used to work at, at, at the Mint, and basically he would, the, the money would be fed to his fingers, like he was just feeding, feeding the, you know, the, the big sheets of, of, of cash, $1, $10 bills, $20 bills. And they would every once in a while throw in a phony sheet. And as soon as he would touch it, 
he knew it was a fake. And they asked, they asked him the question, how do you know when you have a counterfeit? And he says, when you know the original, you can always tell a counterfeit. And so when, when we know the word of God, right, you'll detect, you'll detect real quickly when there's a false teaching being taught. Last point, remember God's verdict. Fake, frauds, hypocrisy, greed. God brings judgment. We need to take this to heart. I really need to take this to heart. Teachers who teach the word here in the church, Sunday school teachers, adult teachers, pastors, preachers, leaders, elders, deacons, we need to take this to heart. In Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Well, you know what, folks? What I just did was prophesy in the name of the Lord. Preaching, proclaiming, the caruso of the, word of the Lord. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Do you know who he's talking to here? He ain't talking to the unbelievers. He's talking to people in the church who are probably unbelievers, or, or very, very much so unbelievers. But he's talking to people. He's talking to people. This is people in the church. And then they will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. False teachers, false preachers, false Christians, false followers, wolves in, in sheep's clothing. Why? Because they do not do the will of my Father in heaven. Let me just ask you one more question. What's the will of the Father? What is, what is God's will? Just, you know, John, in 1 John chapter 3.23, he says, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. By the way, that we should believe, right, on the name. We talked about this on Wednesday. The name of God carries with it, right, character, attitude, uh, attributes. And so to believe on, on the name of Jesus Christ is to believe that he is God, to believe that, that He is the Messiah, to believe that He is the Savior, to believe that He is the Lord. By the way, and to love one another. If you really take these two commandments, you will find all the other things that Jesus gave us kind of fit underneath them. If you believe in Him, you will love Him. And then to love your neighbor, your brothers, your sisters. Is Jesus Christ your Lord, your Savior? Is he your God? And that's a decision that only you can make. That is the greatest decision of all decisions. To open your heart and to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is where you will receive the gift of eternal life. That is where you will receive his forgiveness. That is where his mercy will be Given to you. you know what the mercy of God is? You don't get what you deserve. You know what the grace of God is? You get what you don't deserve. So he doesn't give you condemnation. He doesn't give you punishment. He doesn't give you hell. 
And what does He give you? He gives you eternal life. He gives you His Spirit. He gives you life. He comes into your life and He gives you His peace. I don't know about you, but that's the greatest offer that has ever been given. So if you have not opened your heart and taken Jesus in, do that today and receive that gift. Amen? Remember to meet with me, baptism folks, right after service. Musicians can make their way up. Let's all stand. We'll bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And I do pray, Lord God, right now, Lord God, people whose hearts are wide open to take you into their life, do it. Just say, Jesus, come into my life. I believe in you, that you are God, that you are the Messiah, that you're my Savior. And Lord God, on this day, I take you into my life and I receive you. And I receive that gift of eternal life the forgiveness of my sins, your mercy, your grace. Amen. Hey, we'll open the altars if you would like to come forward for prayer. Pastor Frank said our altars are open. If you're hungry, let's come this morning.
Hey, may the Lord God bless the rest of your day, and this is His day. Right? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad in it. Enjoy it. Think about Him. He's with you, and He loves you. And the Lord God go with you all. Amen.